You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Yeah, Bibles, uh, we are in the Gospel of Luke today. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. If you're using one of the black hardcover Bibles uh, that Pastor John referenced a couple minutes ago, uh, page 859, and then flip over real quick to 860. That's where you'll find today's text. In May of 1738, so you got to go back a few years here, uh, immediately after his conversion to Christianity, the now famous hymn writer Charles Wesley penned the words of the hymn, And Can It Be?, Uh, The fourth stanza of this hymn reads like this. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. And then maybe some of the most recognizable words. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. The reason that these words have endured for nearly three centuries now is because they resonate deep within our souls. We who have known our own bondage, the imprisonment and the dungeons and the chains of sin, but who have seen some, all perhaps, of those chains fall off, we whose once enslaved hearts are now free, we don't just sing those words, we feel those words. We can't help then but add our voice to the chorus of those who proclaim that Jesus and Jesus alone is the one who brings liberty to the captives. So this morning, as we are in Luke 4, Luke here is recounting the early days of Jesus' ministry. Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River. He was led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan Jesus then returns to Galilee, and he begins to teach in synagogues around Galilee, including the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And that's where we pick up the story in Luke 4, verse 16. So I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. Luke chapter 4, I'll begin in verse 16. Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue... On the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is God's word. Let me pray for us again. Guide us now, O God, we ask, by your word and by your spirit, that in your light we may see light, that in your truth we might find freedom for there is no freedom apart from you, and that in your will we might discover your peace. And we pray these things through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. From uh, this passage, from this text in Luke, we see that followers of Jesus are two things. 
And we'll spend the rest of our time talking about these this morning. Followers of Jesus are liberated captives, and followers of Jesus are captivating liberators. Liberating cap- liberated captives, captivating liberators. So first, Jesus' followers are liberated captives. Providentially, of course, it's, I would say coincidentally, but we know it's not a coincidence. Providentially, handed the scroll of Isaiah, Jesus heads for the section that we now know as Isaiah 61. Of course, in his day, it didn't have chapters and verses like it does in our scriptures. But Isaiah 61 is a section of Isaiah that prophesies about the Messiah, an anointed one who would come and when he came would proclaim a few things, as we read, good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed. And Jesus there actually borrows a line from a few chapters earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah 58, and he pulls it in and applies it here. And also the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus sits down And he says, verse 21, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So you've perhaps heard of or familiar with a mic drop where someone says something profound or emphatic and just, you know, drops the mic and walks off stage. Before there was a mic drop, this was a scroll drop. Jesus just dropped the scroll. He didn't really drop the scroll. He was too reverent for that. He didn't treat the word of God that way. But you get the idea. It's a scroll drop moment. Fulfilled. Done. Like Isaiah, Jesus is a prophet, and he comes proclaiming the truth of God. He comes proclaiming the kingdom of God and the work of God. But Jesus is more than a prophet. He doesn't simply proclaim God's work and God's truth and God's kingdom. He fulfills that by his righteous life, by his substitutionary death, by his glorious resurrection. The work of God is not merely anticipated in Jesus. It is fulfilled. It is accomplished in him. And you and I, praise God, are included in this fulfillment. All of Jesus' followers are. If we were to keep on reading here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes on to illustrate this with examples of when Israel's prophets were sent to Gentiles, those who are outside the covenant people, the covenant family of God. So Elijah the prophet was sent to and served the widow of Zarephath. Elisha the prophet was sent to and served Uh, Naaman, who's the commander of the Syrian army. And these prophets were sent to those people not because there were no widows and no lepers in Israel. There were many. They were sent to them because God's heart is for the poor and the captives and the blind and the oppressed outside of Israel too. And thank God for that because nearly every single one of us, maybe every single one of us, nearly at least, all of us in this room are Gentiles. Our ancestors are. We're Gentiles. And so prior to Jesus, the best that you and I could do is proximity. Proximity, nearness to the covenant people of God. But through the work and through the words of Jesus, we don't have to settle for proximity anymore. This is our identity too. We are included within the covenant people of God. What exactly is Jesus fulfilling here when he says that? We need to think about that comprehensively. The word liberty, translated liberty here, certainly refers to freedom from physical forms of slavery. And the Jewish men and women in the synagogue in Nazareth that day would know that. Their ancestors were captives in Egypt for 400 years. Their ancestors, much more recently, were captives, were exiles in Assyria and Babylon. 
Which that's actually the backdrop for what Isaiah writes when he originally writes Isaiah 61. It's the exile to Babylon in Assyria. But Jesus is talking about liberation from spiritual slavery as well. It's both. In the chapters that follow, this same word translated liberty here is translated forgiveness. And as Jesus continues his ministry, as we see what what does Jesus have in mind when he says liberty will be proclaimed to the oppressed and captives and then goes out and fulfills his ministry? What does he have in mind there? Well, it includes healing the sick, which is physical. It includes casting out demons, which is physical and spiritual. And it includes the forgiveness of sin, which is all spiritual. The very next chapter, Luke 5, Jesus heals a, a paralyzed man. But before he heals him, before he physically liberates him, he says, man, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You are liberated from the captivity, from the slavery of sin. The Apostle Paul, who for many years was a traveling companion of Luke, who wrote this gospel, Paul often used this imagery to describe, to illustrate our salvation. In Romans chapter 6, he says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And Paul goes on to write in Galatians 5, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So physically, spiritually, the people of God are liberated captives. Liberated captives. That's their heritage, that's their identity, and it's ours as followers of Jesus. As a church, we actually think this is so important, we named ourselves after it. If you've ever wondered why we can't spell the word liberty, why we're just terrible at spelling that word, The Latin spelling, the Latin word liberty, means freed people. It was a word applied to the people, the men and women who once were slaves themselves, but but then had been set free from that slavery. Our name celebrates that truth of the gospel, that reality of our salvation, that we who were once held captive, we who once were enslaved to sin, have been set free by faith in the finished work of Jesus. So Christian, you are a liberated captive. I don't know how often you sense that, have a feeling sense of that truth in your identity. You are a liberated captive. So let's ask ourselves this morning, is that your present experience? Is that your present experience? Are you free? Are you experiencing the freedom that was not only proclaimed by Jesus, but was purchased by Jesus? Because sin is captivity, There are a thousand things that might and that do enslave us. In light of our focus on human trafficking and sexual exploitation this morning, let's just for today consider God's design for sex and sexuality. Are you experiencing freedom in that aspect of your life? The Word of God proclaims a very different vision of sexual freedom than our culture does. In many ways, it's completely backward. Those two things are completely inverted from one another. What many in our day would call sexual freedom, God would call slavery. And what many in our culture would call sexually oppressive and restrictive, God would call freedom. From the beginning, the good design of God is that sex is the physical expression of the covenant of marriage between one husband and one wife. And Jesus, as he comes and continues his ministry, he upholds and proclaims this same design. 
And what that means is that the things that, some things that our society normalizes, things that our society celebrates, pornography, hookup culture, homosexual activity, polyamorous sexual activity, any kind of sexual activity outside of a marriage between a husband and a wife is not actually liberation, it's actually captivity. Even if it doesn't seem that way, even if it feels like it's not for a long period of time. And we are kidding ourselves when we start to think that human trafficking or sexual exploitation and our other maybe more acceptable forms of sexual sin are unrelated. It it perhaps is more subtle. It often is more subtle. But these are very much related. And they're not only related because, for example, pornography fuels the demand for sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. That's true. It does fuel the demand for it. But more fundamentally, they're related because at the end of the day, there's only two options. There's the slavery of sin and there's the freedom of Christ. There's a slavery of sin and there's the freedom of Christ. And liberated captives are never content to trade one form of slavery for another. We're not meant to say, oh yeah, those are bad. Those are bad forms of slavery. But these, they're not so bad. We're okay. We'll accommodate those. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And his salvation breaks the chains. It shatters the iron bars of sin, and it returns us to the freedom of God's good design for those who bear his image. If we are currently enslaved to sexual sin, if we're not stepping into the reality of our identity as liberated captives, that will hinder our pursuit of combating human trafficking, of combating sexual exploitation. Now, we still might care, and we're certainly many of us will try to care about these things. Perhaps consumed by guilt, we might try to atone for our own sins. Or we might try to convince ourselves that our form of captivity is not a, as big a deal as, as these other forms. But if we are enslaved ourselves, we won't be part of liberating others the way that we're really meant to, which is from a deep personal experience of our own spiritual and our own physical liberation by Jesus. So hear me this morning, son or daughter of God, you were a prisoner. You were a captive, but now you're not. Now you're not. Now you are free. So be free. Be free. Jesus' followers are liberated captives. They are also second, captivating liberators. Captivating liberators. The first words that Jesus reads here from Isaiah's scroll are these. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus proclaims and fulfills physical and spiritual liberation by the power of the Holy Spirit. His mission is carried out as the Spirit of God works in him and works through him. And the incredible thing is is that in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul goes on to write that the same Spirit who worked in Jesus and through Jesus, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in us. When Jesus liberates captives, he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in them, and he does that so that, among other things, they might do the same work that he did, so that they might participate in and advance his mission in the world. It's an amazing and scandalous, really, aspect of God's mission. So in the kingdom of God, it's not in our day, in our present experience, it's not that good people fight the bad people. 
It's that we who are so desperate for Jesus' liberation, we who once were enslaved to sin ourselves, now get to be part of setting other captives free. It's not that we're the good people and they're the bad people. It's that we were once where they are, and now we get to be part of seeing them step into the same freedom that has been purchased for us. Or as we've said it here in the past, celebrating our name, that we are freed people, Liberty Church. Freed people, free people. Freed people, free people. Jesus' work involved both physical and spiritual liberation, and ours does too. Ours does too. We labor to see an end to various forms of modern-day slavery, human trafficking in all of its forms, sex trafficking, sexual exploitation. It's why we truly count it a gift and a joy to partner with Patty and to partner with Peace Promise to support the frontline work that they do in our own region as part of broader national and global initiatives. You've already heard us encourage you to do this, but I'll say it again. Visit with her after the service today. Learn more about what Peace Promise is doing. Uh, visit our website on our page about our Mercy and Justice Month that we're in right now. There's opportunities there to learn, to pray, and to act uh, for combat, to combat human trafficking. Now, I'm confident that if I were to ask all of you all of us in this room would be, in, would be in favor of seeing victims of human traffic, trafficking liberated, at least when they're clear-cut cases of abduction or sexual slavery, something like that. But let Jesus' fulfillment of Isaiah 61, let Jesus' own example of what liberty to the oppressed, what liberty to the captives looked like as he continued on in his ministry, let that mess with your black and white categories a little bit. What about prostitutes? What about strippers and exotic dancers? What about those in the pornography industry? Consider, maybe for the first time, consider the kind of inner turmoil, the spiritual captivity an image bearer of God must be in to quote-unquote willingly participate in these things. Think about the lies that that person must believe, the shame that that person must carry the warped lenses through which these men and women must see all of life and all of the world. This is not the way it's meant to be. This is not the way an image bearer of God is meant to live. And that's why Patty and Peace Promise and ministries like them have all around them the aroma of Jesus Christ. It's why they're not just appreciated and loved by women who are in the industry, but they're appreciated and loved by the families of owners of strip clubs. It's because they seek to restore dignity. They seek to bring Jesus' liberation in every sense of the word to all of the people involved, however they might be involved in trafficking and sexual exploitation. Back in November, a podcast called The World and Everything in It featured a story which illustrates this really well. The reporter in this story profiled a ministry in Houston, Texas called Elijah Rising. It's actually a, a ministry that reminded me a lot as I heard the story of Peace Promise. What Peace Promise does in central Pennsylvania sounds like Elijah Rising does a lot of in Houston. The podcast followed a volunteer named Bob for the night, just followed him around. He was giving out food. He was giving out scarves. He was giving out information to prostitutes around the city of Houston. And as he did that, he would offer to pray with these women, and he would then write down their names in his phone, their first names in his phone, so that he would remember them and he could pray for them later. 
early on in the night, there was a group of women that he was giving uh, food and information out to, and he was praying with them. He couldn't remember the name of the first woman that he prayed with, and so he wrote down in his phone what he thought her name was. A while later, that same night, the same woman returned and asked for more prayer. And he, of course, excitedly agreed, referring to her by the name that he had written down in his phone. And the surprising look on her face made him think he'd gotten it wrong. And you can hear on the recording of the story, you can hear Bob say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm horrible with names. But that wasn't it. That wasn't it. Earlier in the night, when they'd first spoke, she had given him a fake name. But the one he wrote down and the one he called her by when she came back was her real one. What a taste of the gospel that is. What a taste of freedom that an image bearer of God who is so filled with shame and filled with fear, who is so used to being robbed of her dignity, of her very humanity, that she hides her real name. She doesn't even give out her real name when she talks to other people. That's captivity. That's slavery. But then an, an ordinary man named Bob, the Spirit of God dwelling within him, called her by her real name. And he held out to her in that moment a glimpse of the liberty of Jesus Christ. What sin and Satan seek to kill and destroy and enslave, Jesus Christ has come to resurrect and restore and set free. For as much as Jesus says here in Luke chapter 4, there's, there's a really significant omission. From the scroll of Isaiah, he reads, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then he stops and he sits down. The full line, the next line, if, we, if you're to go back to Isaiah 61 and read it, I would encourage you to do that sometime. The full line is this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. Why does Jesus stop? Because there is a day of God's vengeance, but it's not this day. It's not this day. The first time Jesus comes, it is not to judge or to avenge. It's to save. It's to rescue. When he says, when Jesus says here, the year of the Lord's favor, every Jewish ear in this original audience would have immediately recalled something known as the year of Jubilee. In Leviticus chapter 25, God commanded that after every 49 years, Seven times seven. After every 49 years, the 50th year was a year of jubilee, a year of liberty. Property was returned to its original owners. Debts were forgiven, and the slaves went free. So when Jesus stops at the Lord's favor and then says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, it means that the days between Jesus' first coming and second coming, these days, in other words, our days, are characterized by jubilee. Not that sin is eradicated, because it is not. Not that suffering and injustice and oppression are over, because they are not, not yet. But by his own body and his own blood offered up for the life of the world. Jesus is now, today, in these days, liberating people from physical and spiritual slavery. The day of God's vengeance will come, but until it does, the mission of Jesus, the mission that we carry as his followers is to bring liberty to the captives and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, Jesus' followers aren't only liberated captives. We are captivating liberators. 
How compelling, how captivating was Bob's story? An ordinary guy named Bob who could call a woman by her real name when he didn't know it. How captivating are Patty's stories? I got to sit with her about a week ago, and I could listen to her. I did. I got to like an hour and a half, and we just scratched the surface of the stories of what Peace Promise has been able to do these past months. They're captivating stories. How captivated was the woman who Bob called by her real name? It's not that we shouldn't decry the sins of our world. We need to be people who raise a bold and prophetic voice against wickedness and evil. And certainly that includes forms of slavery, forms of trafficking in our region and in our nation and beyond. A day is coming when unrepentant oppressors, when unrepentant perpetrators of evil will be met with the vengeance of God. So let's not pretend otherwise. But what really gets the attention of others, what really makes us captivating liberators, is not the volume of our voice. It's when the Holy Spirit enables ordinary men and women like us to invite people into the same freedom that we are experiencing. It's when we actually live in the Jesus-bought jubilee ourselves and we say to those who are enslaved, you don't have to live that way anymore. You can be here too through the work of Christ. As we near the end of this month focused on mercy and justice issues, I hope you have picked up on the thread that runs through it all. Christians are people of mercy and justice because we have first received mercy. We are people of justice because Jesus the just, Jesus the righteous, received God's justice against sin in our place. So we care about refugees in this world because we are refugees in this world. We care about racial reconciliation because we Gentiles, we who once were far off, we who were the wrong race, have been brought near, have been reconciled through the blood of Christ. We care about the sanctity of all human lives because God has called our lives sacred. And we can say with David, like Psalm 8 we looked at last week, who am I that you are mindful of me? Who am I that you care for me? And we combat modern-day slavery because we were slaves to sin, because we were captives, but Christ has set us free. The day we forget our desperate need for the mercy of Jesus, the day we forget that in ourselves we are the poor and needy, we are the captives, we are the blind, we are the oppressed, that is the day we begin to forsake the gospel and to shun the ones we're called to share it with. That's the day we deceive ourselves into thinking that we are somehow better or more deserving than people we would cross paths with. We are not. And yet, Jesus proclaims over you, and he proclaims over all who would come, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Friends, men and women, today, these are the days of Jesus' jubilee. These are the days when captives are being set free. In Christ, we are liberated captives. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we be captivating liberators. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, our God, you have given to us the glorious gospel of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And that gospel is a gospel of jubilee. It is a gospel of freedom. Help us to see what we have been freed from. Help us to live in the freedom that you have purchased for us at the infinite cost of your own body and blood. 
Help us to be people because we have such a deep appreciation and a deep personal experience of your freedom ourselves. Help us to be compelling, captivating liberators, that we would push back what is dark in the world, that we would invite other people into the same freedom that we are experiencing in Christ. We confess that we run back to slavery. We confess that we try to rescue other people from their slavery, from a position of self-righteousness, forgetting the mercy we ourselves need. So as we come to this table, as we prepare to come to this table, would you work in us again this morning? It is by your grace we are who we are. So may we share the good news of your gospel with others. I pray that through the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.